Welcome to another edition of the OUinsider.com podcast. I'm joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy. Colin, dude, first things first. How Mummy gets destroyed by Cam Artist Payne on the sideline. Coaches through the rest of the 27-20 loss, and my favorite reaction out of all this, he retweets a pic, uh, like video of him getting annihilated. It says, I'm not soft. <laughs> like, yo. <laughs> like, how old is Dude, How Mummy? That's a bad man right there. He breaks his leg. and We don't talk about this enough. Not only did he call the game for, what, two and a half quarters, but he led a comeback effort that almost got completed against the undefeated Houston Roughnecks. Like, he almost pulled it off. He was calling a plays that executed for three-point conversions, and he still had one leg. I mean, we don't talk about this enough. This guy was insane out there. No, man, uh, it was losing effort. Landry Jones goes down with the knee injury. Um, yeah. What do you expect from this team for the rest of the season? I mean, they were picked to win the whole damn thing, and now it, it feels like they're, they're, it's, it's Houston's league right now. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I didn't necessarily expect them to pull off the win over Houston because the Roughnecks are just that darn good. They did make P.J. Walker look somewhat human, though, and that's a first this XFL season. The thing is, though, that Dallas' defense is really good, but the offense is still kind of fluctuating. I mean, Donald Parham, Cameron Artis-Payne, Lance Dunbar, kind of that big three of weapons for the Renegades right now is pretty much held in check. Jeff Bidette, my guy, has just been collecting dust. Like, someone get that man the football. He is an electric playmaker, and yet somehow they can't throw him the damn rock. I don't know. I I think expectations have to be kept somewhat in check when it comes to the Dallas running games. I mean, it's not going to be all that easy for them to get through the West. I know they have the Guardians coming up this weekend. I was going to go out there, but now I'm scheduled to go down to Houston again. So we'll see. I think it's a, a... I don't want to call it a must-win this weekend against New York, but at the same time, it kind of feels like it, right? I mean, especially with Philip Nelson likely taking the quarterback job in replacement of Landry Jones, who suffered that knee injury, like you mentioned. I want to say that it was a re-aggravation of the left knee he suffered in training camp for the Renegades. So timetable's probably two weeks, maybe a little bit more. But at this stage, when you have a backup quarterback who did not look very good in week one, taking the field against a Guardians team that isn't that good, but I think won last week against the Wildcats. Now you're kind of saying like, okay, if they don't get the win, this thing could get out of hand quickly. So we can't get Eastern Michigan's finest, the broback snaps, because I'm, I'm, I'm out on the Philip Nelson experiment. I'm out on it. The dude can't throw the ball past seven yards. I can't. I can't do that. It's driving me nutty. Like, how mummy is the progenitor of the air raid offense, and he's got a quarterback that – really can't throw the ball past the sticks. And I'm going, oh, God. Uh, you know, and, and this... Yeah. The, you you drafted J- Landry Jones first so that he could lead you, and frankly, he's been underwhelming. I mean, he's had just as much of an effect to just destroying offensive opportunities as he has, you know, demoing bathrooms, which apparently is a thing that you, he was doing at one point. But I don't know, man. Maybe it's just... Let's let's just run the damn ball. Let's just hand the ball to Cam Artis Payne and Lance Dunbar and then hope that the defense can keep up because I'm with you. It's a make or break game for me with the New York Guardians. I believe that game is Saturday, correct? Yes, it's okay. Saturday and I believe it's the mid-afternoon kick. So 3 p.m. Central. 
Okay. Don't quote me on that, but okay. it will be interesting. I call Philip Nelson the most boring name in football because, <laughs> my goodness, that's probably the only interesting thing about him. But, yeah, he's got to get it done this weekend if the Renegades want any shot at this thing moving forward. And now we, I got to talk a bit about oh, 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 Robert Anthony because old Robert Anthony is not is not having it. He, he does not like the new XFL. Like, my man gets on the microphone, the headset, and he's just not he's not into it. He's here to coach ball. And then you get him into the locker room and – I, I get one to coach ball, but I thought maybe Robert Anthony was going to loosen up just a little bit, and uh, it doesn't seem to be so. It seems to be all photos and, well, great social media savvy by the XFL Twitter account and the Dallas Renegades Twitter account because that that's the Robert Anthony we all know from, like, 2016. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand frustrations around it, right? You mentioned that the the XFL right now is basically just a – a glorified social media product, which I think is correct to a degree. But we also have to understand, I mean, you brought up like Landry Jones situation. The guy has been throwing two interceptions a half. Then he threw three interceptions in a quarter this past week. But I think it's also a valuable reminder for whoever the doubters may be, whether it's Anthony or go down the line, is that these guys are playing for the love of the game and just for another opportunity. But at the same time, they – they haven't necessarily been involved with the game that much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Landry Jones hadn't started the game in 777 days until he took the field against the Wildcats in week two. And so, I don't know, man. I, I want to see this league succeed, right? I really do. I think it's a great platform for guys that deserve another shot. But at the same time, it's just it's hard right now to completely validate how valuable it is when the product on the field is not up to the national eyes standard, if you know what I mean. Well, they've already made it past the halfway point of the Alliance, right? The Alliance of American yes, Football. Yes, which is big. Right, that's massive. And I, I've said many times in beginning a business, any business at all, you need time and you need money. And what we find with rich folks like Vince McMahon is they'll say, yeah, you have time. But as they watch money continue to just circle the drain, Rich people didn't get rich by watching money go out the window. That that said, I'm going to lay a stat on you. Because, you know, we work in media and I pay attention to sports media and I, I eat the stuff up just reading about ourselves. Find out that entry-level writers at The Athletic are making 50 grand. And I bring that up to say, that's like, that's that's the salary for an XFL player. You know, and, and I'm going, yeah. and I'm going, I wonder what, I wonder what that must feel like. For some of these guys, right, who, like you mentioned Jeff Bidette and, you know, his 42740 that got him onto a practice squad at Minnesota, that man made 100 G's last year, like 110 grand as a member of the practice squad. So, you know, he finishes the season with the XFL, he'll make 50. Whereas, you know, uh, you look around, and by the way, 50 grand for the athletic is wildly, that's 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 an enormous number. Um, I read the Washington Post on this, and it's fascinating to see what that website is doing and not to get too far on that, but it's a new venture, right? Just like the XFL, both of them are losing money right now, but both of them are bets that folks are buying into it. And I get, I, I get that the football is not where we want it to be, but it's still on television. It's still a good enough product. And you have some stars that seem to be emerging, but I sometimes think that the coaches are who you want to be the stars and the you know based on the broadcast. And some of them are good. Chuck Long, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Jay, Jay Hayes, and others are not. Bob Stoops, or you'll have Mark Tressman, who apparently just wants 
Taylor Cornelius to be his quarterback regardless because I'm watching Quentin Quint Flowers out there. I'm like, it, yeah, I'm like, what are we doing? Why? Oh, man. It's, so it hurts me. dude. No, man. All right. So, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it, man. Me neither, and I'm watching B.J. Daniels go out there and, and try to get it, make it happen. And by the way, Jim Zorn, I need to throw in there. He's been doing an excellent job, and I love June Jones and P.J. Walker. But we spent almost 10 minutes on the XFL. Probably need to pivot to, to OU football. So I oppose this to you. Well, we'll get to players that we expect or, or we need to take, players that need to take a big step this spring, but a little bit. You went down to Houston last week expressly for the Shriners so you could watch this OU baseball team against teams that are really, really good. And now they've got some just outstanding pelts. And we're only in the first week of March. Arkansas, they got a W. LSU, they got a W. Dallas Baptist, they got a W. And oh, by the way, the first no-hitter thrown by an OU pitcher since 1989. Go ahead and throw this out there. I don't think you were born in 89. Were you, Kennedy? I was not. 96. That's my dateline for sure. Yeah, man. 87. (laughs) That was incredible what I watched down there on Sunday. I mean, especially because going into that, LSU looked like a really good baseball team. And and we don't talk about this enough. I say that it was one of the best pure college baseball games that I have ever seen. Hmm. And we're talking about someone who, and me, goes to Omaha every single year. I mean, what A.J. Labus did is going overlooked because Dane Acker actually finished the no-hitter. A.J. Labus threw a one-hitter, and the only hit was the one home run hit by Oklahoma's Justin Mitchell to give OU the 1-0 lead, which was eventually enough to get the win. It was outstanding what Acker did. And he did it when he was trailing in counts often, which is another just staggering thing to think about when you're truly evaluating what he accomplished. I thought the defense played very well for Oklahoma. And this baseball team, man, their past three wins, when you talk about DBU, Arkansas, and LSU, are all top 25 wins. And they're a a top RPI kind of squad. And they've got San Diego State coming into town this weekend in Norman, which is another very, very good contest. So, I don't know, man. Obviously, college baseball is kind of one of my things. I love what OU baseball is doing right now. And I'm just telling you, whatever OU fans listening or watching this, get out to a game at Eldale. Get out to a game when they go play TCU or, or Dallas Baptist again down the road at DBU. I mean, go out there and watch these guys play because I'm telling you, the young talent on this roster and just the pitching alone is worth the price of admission. I love watching this squad, and I can't wait to keep covering them as the 2020 season goes on. Oh, 100%. I mean, and I need to throw in there, Tanner Treadaway has been unconscious. Just, what what, what are you doing oh. in the plate, sir? Like, what, 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 like I'm, I'm looking at the stats, you know, because I'm obviously not watching the games. You're, you're doing that for OUI, and I'm, I'm reading your reports, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm watching what I can on television because there was a, I want to say I watched a part of the Shriners game where they played LSU because I'm obviously, you know, LSU. One, baseball, but also LSU. And I'm going, this dude is just raking. And is it is it too far to say that he's a better hitter right now than Steel Walker was? It's probably it's it's hard to match Steel Walker's level, right? I okay. mean, Steel Walker was one of the best pure hitters I have seen. Okay. Like he and Nick Madrigal to me of Oregon State were two guys that when they stepped in the box, I was just sitting sitting there thinking, "This is the hit." Now Treadaway's on that track. Right, I definitely think that 
he is getting to that level. That said, I think that we have to see it carry out for a little bit longer because he wasn't healthy last season. He kind of got shifted around in the outfield, and I think that certainly translates to how you play at the plate. So I know what you're saying. I think he's on that path. But again, Tanner Treadaway is unconscious right now. I want to see him carry this near 400 batting average deeper into non-conflict and then the Big 12. That's what's really key for me, especially because, if I remember correctly, they opened the Big 12 conference play with Texas at Eldale Mitchell. That will truly validate what Treadaway is doing at the plate. I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. March 5th, 2020, is Oklahoma going to be in Omaha in June? I say no, because, look, I'm going to say it's not really a knock on what OU baseball is doing. I firmly believe that, in my opinion, the national championship in college baseball is the most difficult to win in all of collegiate athletics. When you talk about the number of teams vying for it, the amount of talent scattered across the country, the gauntlet postseason structure that you have to go through. I mean, if you lose a game you're basically set up to fail. So I think that to be one of just the final eight teams in a massive field of squads is such a difficult thing to accomplish. I do think that this team can reach a super regional, which in my opinion would be massive, especially when you consider what Skip Johnson is doing on the recruiting trail. I really do think that this squad could make two of supers and have a chance to make Omaha. But again, it's just so difficult to get there, man. Like we, we don't talk about it enough, and I try and mention wherever I can. Getting to Omaha is an accomplishment in and of itself, and I don't see them getting there right now. But I, I'm going to tell you right now, two years down the road when Peyton Graham, Kendall Pettis, Connor Beekler, Logan Kohler, Jake Bennett, Christian Rubeck, when all of those young freshmen are juniors, verge of the MLB draft eligibility, I think OU's got a shot to get to that final eight. I think those guys are freaks of nature, so look for that to be the time to make it. Well, hey, man, I mean, I got to I gotta throw it back at you here just a little bit. One of the things we've seen with Skip is he'll get these commitments from from guys that absolutely are positively going to get drafted highly. And then, for instance, you know, the one that everybody knew about was Bobby last year, and he, that dude ends up playing Major League Baseball. That said, I wonder, I wonder, is it is it – is it something to do not making Omaha, right? Because right now, uh, Omaha, I, I, I asked you to answer that question. You answered that question. Is there something to do in the Big 12 for them? Because Texas Christian's good. Texas is good. Oklahoma State's going to be riding high, one. But also, they got a new stadium that, I mean, George W. Bush is going to come out and throw the first pitch for Cecil Brate. That's going to be fun. I'm going to try to get up there for that. Ooh. right? But, I mean, they're the number 11 team in the country. And yet, we still don't expect them to finish better than third in the Big 12. So I'm, I'm with you. Is there something for them to do in the Big 12, though? Is that, I mean, because if you win a conference championship, is that enough? You know, would, would that be enough for you to, to be satisfied if they don't make a Super Regional, if they don't make the College, uh, college World Series? Yeah, I think if you are able to pull off a Big 12 championship, that is a monumental accomplishment because you mentioned it. TCU, strong baseball powerhouse. Texas, an obvious baseball powerhouse. Oklahoma State, a really, really good program that has made some Omaha appearances. Tech was in Super Regional last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. Texas Tech is 
unbelievably talented this year, and they lost a ton of talent. Right. They have Josh Young's little brother, who is raking right now, and then Baylor goes out there and destroys the Shriner College Classic, even while finishing up those suspensions that they faced earlier in the season. I mean, if you're able to get through that amount of talent in the Big 12, then, yeah, I tip my cap to you. It doesn't matter if you make Delmar or not, because the Big 12 Conference, you can make the argument, is one of, if not the toughest, to just win it because all of these squads are so good and OU starting to get to that caliber of team with Skip Johnson to the helm. So, yeah, man, if they win a, a regular season title or, or pull it off in the Big 12 tournament, and we've seen crazier happen, okay? Oklahoma State won it all as an eight seed in the tourney not too long ago, then yes, Oklahoma baseball should have an absolute monstrous celebration for accomplishing that feat. Right on, man. Coming up, Colin and I are going to tell you which Sooners need to take the biggest leap in spring ball this year. All right, Colin, switching to football. We got spring football coming up next week. We are looking forward to Lincoln Riley's press conference where I'm sure he's going to have some news for us because there's always some news at the top, usually injury-related or guys that enter the portal, so we'll see about that. But that aside, which player on the offensive side of the ball do you think needs to take the biggest step forward for Oklahoma? Yeah, it's it's tough. There's a lot of options here, but I'm going to kind of go with maybe an easier answer. I, I just think Jaden Hazelwood has to be that guy this hmm. spring. You know what I'm saying? I mean, losing C.D. Lamb, I understand that Charleston Rambo is going to be the deep threat that he is, but at the same time, if you don't have that other guy to be that strong threat on the perimeter, then Rambo could be essentially neutralized. So, hmm. To me, Jaden Hazelwood has to be that dude. And and that's the other thing is, look, we saw Theo Weiss flash against Baylor down in Waco, right? He had some really impressive plays. I think we're all kind of expecting Trajan Bridges to make those steps. But Hazelwood, just you needed to see what he could bring to the table. And I'm not quite sure that there was ever a point where you could really pinpoint his success, even though there were those markable plays throughout the season. So, I want to see what Hazelwood does because he has a chance to be the go-to target in this offense. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people have labeled this guy as one of the most dominant high school football players that they had ever seen, i.e. a Cam Newton, if I remember correctly. So I want to see what Jaden does, and if he does what he needs to, he could easily be wide out number one in Lincoln Riley's offense. No, I think that's a good pick. I, I enjoy it because... You see what CeeDee Lamb meant to the offense last year, and watching the X receiver be the dominant receiver was also something that we hadn't seen from a Lincoln Riley offense. It's usually been the guy at Z. It's been Hollywood Brown. It's been D.D. Westbrook. And I think some people expected to be Charleston Rambo because he's a little bit older, came in with C.D. Lamb, and he has all of the tools that you would want to see from a guy who could take the top off the defense. But I like the Hazelwood comparison. I just wonder if he's going to have that sophomore year that CD had when he's coming back this year. Maybe maybe 2021 is the year, but I, I, I like it. Because if you have that sort of, well, not talent, but production at that X receiver, it opens up other parts of your offense. I'm going to go with Creed Humphrey. I think Creed Humphrey needs to have a tremendous spring. Because we, talk, yep. we saw him take a step back or... We saw what it looked like for him not to have so many seasoned vets around him to what we found out was make up for mistakes that he made. Also, that dude did not look great against zero techniques. Bravey and Roy ate his lunch in two games. I, I mean, up against yep. Tyler Shelvin at LSU, he got destroyed. 
you need to take a step forward because going into last season, we were talking about that man being a first round pick. And now not only is he coming back to school, people took him off his board, off their boards after the Big 12 championship game and definitely after the Peach Bowl. And with this with this group of kids that is returning on that offensive line, I mean, Adrian Ely, you'll get some, you know, Eric Swenson, as much as people don't like to hear it, Marcus, uh, Marquise Hayes, you'll also get some some Bray Walker in there, you'll get uh, uh, Daryl, man, I'd love to see Daryl Simpson get some snaps, but maybe he's just not ready, and you hope to see a guy like Stacey Wilkins come on, but this is very much Creed Humphrey's offense, you have a green quarterback behind you, super talented, never started a snap, right, no matter who it is, Tanner Mordecai, Tanner Schaefer, or Spencer Rattler, you got to have really, really talented guys at wide receiver, but only Charleston Rambo is the guy that you absolutely trust having been in this system for three years, four years, excuse me, because he's going to be redshirt junior. So uh, so I, I really expect Creed to get into that leadership role, to take it over, and to sure up parts of his game that were just lacking. I mean, from a couple of botched snaps to getting destroyed by zero techniques, guys that frankly were just bigger than him, that sunned him. He's supposed to get some help from his guards on a couple of those things. But in the NFL, you're going to be expected to take on that one technique, that zero technique by yourself, and it not be uh, you know, uh, hard for you to do. It's just part of what you're supposed to do. So that's the guy that I'm, I'm watching for, and I, I understand that's going to be difficult for us to evaluate because... <laughs> We get 20 minutes to watch practice, and it's usually them stretching, and we won't see a lot until spring game, and then probably not going to see a whole lot of people challenging Creed Humphrey. But I'd like to see Bill Beatenbow talk about his maturity and how he's progressed because Bill has a really great understanding of his offensive line. He can tell you when they're good. He can tell you when they're bad. And he was vocal about, hey, we expected Creed to be better this year, and I expect him to be better in 2020. So switching to the other side of the ball, who do you think needs to take the biggest step defensively? So I provided an easy pick in the offensive side, so I'm going to go with an under-the-radar pick for my defensive guy. And I look, I think there are a lot of candidates here, like Deshaun White has to probably replace Kenneth Murray. I mean, Trey Brown has to replace someone that I think was incredibly valuable in Parnell Motley. But I want to go with LaRon Stokes, hmm. and here's why. Neville Gallimore leaving is a bigger loss than people expect because it was him facing double teams while penetrating the offensive line that really opened things up for guys like Ronnie Perkins or Stokes who became the Big 12 defensive newcomer of the year. That being said, when you get an accolade that like that, that says, hey, you proved to us that you got the talent. Now prove to us that you have what it takes to fill in for other stars on the defensive line when they leave. You know what I'm saying? Like, Stokes came in with so much hype. All the coaches talk about how this guy just does his job, he does it well, he listens, and he plays with a high motor. Well, now, while he can do all that, and that's perfectly all fine, he's got to do more than 15 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss and a half sack. I mean, bar none. You know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be a higher level reach now that Gallimore is gone, now that Q Overton is gone, now that Dylan Bahamatu is gone, what is LaRon Stokes going to provide me on the defensive line, one that could be shifting and see very new faces? I'm looking at LaRon, and I want to see what he can prove. The former Big 12 defensive newcomer of the year has to look like a seasoned veteran. No, I think that's a good pick. I also am looking for leadership from him like you are. I think that they're going to get some help from guys like Jalen Redmond. I expect Marcus Hicks to come on. I expect the defensive line to be extremely strong, and it 
has an opportunity, not not has an opportunity, it ought to be the strongest unit for Alex Grinch this year, led by LaRon Stokes, who's going to have to, as you say, pick up the slack that is left by Neville Gallimore and those graduating seniors. I think it's a nice pick. I'm going to go with Buki. I need Buki to, to, to take... I like it. I, I, gotta, I mean, the slot corner position has been one of absolute need for some time. As much as I'll bang on the safety position, DeLaren Turner-Yale and Patrick Fields, when they played well, the defense played well. Hadn't been able to say that about safety's positions in three years, quite honestly. And the last time I felt really good about the situation, other than going into this 2020, was when Tony Jefferson was still running around back there. So it's been some time, right? It's been some time. But with Buki... Yep. You had the only guy that Grinch trusted last year to play the slot corner position week in and week out. You had other guys that tried to come in there and play, from Chance Sylvie to Justin Broyles to even Trajan Bridges to a degree, right? And he's going into the junior year of his career here, which means he's an absolute leader now. Whether you want him to be or not, he's one of the guys you're going to have to depend on because he's got more snaps than a lot of the guys that have ever played that position. You also are going to need him to tutor Justin Harrington to a degree, right? You're going to need somebody that can also help raise up guys like Jeremiah Cradell, who's coming in. Jamal Morris is coming off of a redshirt year. There's a number of talented kids back there, but the guy that they just loved was Buki. And he's a lightning rod, and I understand that. But when he was good, he was really good. Now... Again, South Dakota, that's his best game, an FCS opponent. But he played well in other stretches. He had some goofs. He had some stupid penalties. But having that guy solidify his spot at the nickel slot corner position is going to mean the world for this defense in 2020 if he can get it done. Because then Grinch gets to really focus on growing up his safeties a little bit more. And they get to really start to fine-tune this defense that got better by a touchdown last year, right? I mean, they go from giving up 33 points a game to 27 points a game. What if they can get down to that 23 mark, that 22 mark? And you know what? They were looking like they were going to do just that until, you know, LSU happens and they drop 63 on you, you know, and you give up 48 to, to Kansas State, but yeah, that's, 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 and then Iowa State and so forth, so on, right? But a lot of that, it can yep. be, a lot of that can be corrected just with the guys having a year in the system. So, Am I, am I off there? Do you like it? I actually love that. And I want to okay. add to it real quick. Okay. Look, Buki, as you mentioned, he's a really good player. He has to take that step. But now, maybe more than ever, he'll be facing a higher level of competition for that spot. Hmm. You mentioned Justin Harrington. A lot of people are going to want to see a six foot three, two 214-pound defensive back in there. You mentioned Jeremiah Cradell coming off that red shirt year. He's a guy everyone's excited about. But then you have to think about it. Trey Norwood is coming back. Like Jamal Morris could get in there. There are so many candidates to play nickel. And oh, by the way, Jaden Davis played in the slot in their dime packages last season. So what happens if Jaden Davis moves to the inside? I don't know. There's just a lot of names vying for Buki's spot. He does have to take that next step, not only for the Divas, but for himself, because it doesn't matter what his reputation is as an individual. Grinch has got candidates to replace him, and that's not something that should be comforting for him. But I do think that he is the caliber of individual and player that can meet the challenge. So I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table. Great pick. I got a sports radio comp for you. Is Brendan Radley-Hiles the defensive back version of Jake Fromm? Five-star player coming out of high school. 
has has fended off everybody who's tried to take his spot. Still not beloved by fans. Been on some very good football teams. Hasn't won at all. That's where I'm coming from with that. Yeah, I like that because, you know, from like, I'm not a from guy or as I'm a bookie guy. I, I just don't know that from is going to provide me what I need at the end of the day when it's two minutes left on the clock and I need to go get a win. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I also feel like bookie is the guy that has the ability to step up when I need him to because of who he is, a charactered individual, what he is as an emotional player. And Honestly, his flat-out talent. Like, we know he has the tools, whereas I'm not sold on Jake Fromm's arm strength or, or accuracy and crunch time or his ability to execute an offense in a hurried manner out of the spread, whereas I do think that Buki has what it takes to fit into this speedy system. It's just he was a sophomore in the last season. So I, I like the comp, but I, I just feel like the ceiling is higher for Buki Radley-Hiles than than Fromm's. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I do. Uh, I'm a Fromm fan. I'm a Buki fan. That's one of the reasons I tried that out. Uh, but I, I can see it. I also would add, you know, as a, as a freshman, Buki got torched by David Sills V in a game where West Virginia puts up over 700 yards of offense. We've seen him get torched by bigger, faster wide receivers before. But I would add this to my comparison, which is Jake Fromm was never asked to play running back or tight end or, or wide receiver. Okay, Uh, Buki is a corner. He's a corner. He needs to be on the numbers and the boundary, and he's never had that opportunity. And now he's kind of stuck, right? Because that's why I'm saying he needs to take a leap because this is the year for him to absolutely positively embrace this role. And he he has from from a mental standpoint, but from a physical standpoint, from an understanding what you're asked to do, going from one scheme to another, even as you're playing the same position, I, I really want him to be great. Uh, I would love to see Jake Fromm be great as well in the NFL. I think he should have stayed at Georgia, quite honestly. But I I, I wonder that, and I wanted to talk that uh, wanted to talk that through with you. So I'm glad that you indulged me on that. Thank you so much. Uh, is there something else you want to get to that we didn't get to? Uh, I'm good, man. Whatever else we need to hit on, you take it away. What's in Houston? Houston is the end zone seven on seven tournament. A lot of talent coming in from Florida, from Colorado, from California, and of course the great state of Texas. So I'll be meeting with a ton of prospects out there this weekend. That is Saturday and Sunday. So a lot of interesting recruits meeting up in Houston. I'm very excited to get out there to the end zone seven on seven tournament, and I will have it all for you on OUinsider.com. Right on. Look for Colin Kennedy's stuff on OUinsider.com and on the Twitters at CKennedy247. That's at CKennedy247. Colin, thanks so much, man, taking the time. Always fun. Let's do it again. Right on, brother.